We've seen that Peter spends the first 12 verses of chapter 1 talking about who we are in Christ. Talking about um, the blessings of our salvation. There in verse 3, it's kind of the capstone of the section. He says that we have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And Peter goes on to talk about how we belong to God. How we uh, belong to another world. How we've been destined for a glorious inheritance. And all of that, he's talking about who we are in Christ and what God has done for us. All of that is a backdrop to what he says in verse 6. That we can rejoice because of all that. We can rejoice in our times of suffering. But when we come to verse 13, his tone changes. And And he writes here... Beginning in verse 13, in the imperative sense. And what that means is that this is a response. The idea being, because of what God has done for you, because of who you are in Christ, because of your hope of glory, this is to be your rightful response. You are to walk in holiness. Holy is a word that is rarely used today outside of the church. And a lot of people really have a wrong idea as it relates to the idea of holiness. When they think of the holy people, they think of people who look like, you know, they've just uh, sucked on a lemon, you know. (laughs) They look at people that just, you know, bit into a rotten apple. You know, they think of people that are holy is, you know, they associate it with some kind of grimness or some, some type of just stuffy people who are down and dour all the time, but that's not holy. In fact, let me give you a simple but good definition of holy. It means you are set apart for a singular purpose. You are set apart for a singular purpose, and that singular purpose is to glorify God. Now, here's what I want you to catch today. Here's what we want to talk about today. Peter doesn't just tell us that we are called to be holy, but he tells us how. And if you're taking notes, there's three things that I want you to note from our text concerning how we walk in holiness. Number one is that we realize holiness is not just a calling, but it's our identity. Look at verse 14. He says there, as obedient children. Literally in the Greek text, that reads, as the children of obedience. In other words, it's a title. He's speaking here of an identity. When he says, as obedient children, he's not using it in the form of an adjective, but but when he says, as the children of obedience, he's speaking in the form of a noun. It's a title. It's the idea of this is who you are. In other words, holiness isn't something that you do, but it's something that you are. If you have been saved, if you have given your life to Christ, that's how God sees you right now because of your position in Christ. The Bible says that we've been justified by faith in Romans chapter five, verse one. The word justified means declared righteous. Isn't that awesome? You put your faith in Jesus and God says, I'm declaring you righteous. You are holy. So the idea here is you don't obey God in order to be holy. You are holy, so therefore you obey God. You see the difference in that? You've been set apart for a singular purpose. 
And so the idea is, this is who you are, so that's how you should live. Now, John, in his epistle in 1 John, he, he writes on this as well and gives a very interesting insight when he says this. I'm reading from 1 John chapter 3, verse 9. He says, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Now, all Christians sin. We will sin as long as we are living on planet Earth and living in these bodies. But he says, no Christians practice sinning. We're not going to keep sinning. Why? He says, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep sinning because he has been born of God. The idea here is the person who has been born of God, the person who's been born again, does, can't practice sin. He can't live in an habitual sin. Why? Because John says God's seed is in him. And when he says that, the seed he's referring to is the Holy Spirit. God's Holy Spirit is living inside of him. So the person who has been born of God doesn't practice sin because the Holy Spirit is living in him and he's been given through the Holy Spirit a new nature. And what do you think the greatest desire is of your new nature? It's holiness. That's why he's referred to as the Holy Spirit. He's not the loving spirit or the guiding spirit or the cool spirit or the trendy spirit. He's the Holy Spirit and his greatest desire for you is toward holiness. He loves holiness and he's grieved by sin. So when we sin, the Holy Spirit inside of us is grieved. When we are walking in sin, he starts whispering to you, hey, that's not who you are. But oftentimes when he whispers in our ear like that, we don't pay attention, right? We keep doing what we're doing. And so then you know what he does is, is he starts seeking to make you miserable in your sin. It's what we call living on the fence. And that's one of the worst places to live because you've got too much of the Lord to really enjoy your sin, but you've got too much sin to really enjoy the Lord. And so you find yourself in this just miserable spot. And that's the Holy Spirit. He's just trying to, to draw you, get your attention and draw you in. And if you continue then to you know just resist that and not listen to that, th then he starts screaming at us, hey, that's not who you are. And he'll even discipline us to get our attention. Because the Bible says, whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. He wants us, you see, the work of transformation that he's trying to do in each one of our lives is this. He wants us to be who we are in Christ instead of who we used to be in our flesh. To start reacting and living like who you are in Jesus instead of like how you used to act and react in the flesh. So how do we walk in holiness? It begins by remembering, realizing our identity. That holiness is not just a calling, it's an identity. Number two, we're called to refocus our thoughts. Look at verse 13. He says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober. The word therefore takes us back to verses 1 through 12. And the idea is this, because of your great salvation, because you've been born again to this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, gird up the loins of your mind. Now this is a, a very deliberate phrase that Peter's using here. Because in the Middle East, and the people listening to this, they would know exactly what he's talking about. 
the men would wear these long flowing robes. And it was great you know, to wear these, especially at night, because it kind of served as a blanket and it would, you know, keep their legs warm. But anytime they wanted to move more freely or anytime they were involved in strenuous type of work, they would take that robe and they would cinch it up and then they would wear this belt that they called a girdle. Now, don't think of a women's girdle. Think of more like a weightlifting belt. And they would cinch it up and then they would tighten that belt around them and it would hold their robe up in place. You know, it would be pulled up maybe around their knees or a little bit higher so that they could move quickly and they could, you know, move in a way that they wouldn't be encumbered. And so when Peter says, gird up the loins of your mind, they they realize that's what he's talking about here. And it simply means this, pull your thoughts together or gather your thoughts together under the Lord. Bring your thoughts under the governance of Christ. Gird up the loins of your mind and be sober. The idea with being sober is to be full of self-control. It's not given to extremes. You know, people that get intoxicated, they, they're given to extremes, right? They, they say extreme things. They do extreme things. He says, you, you be sober. Sober in your thinking. Not given to extremes, but, but moved by self-control, So he's saying here, gather your attitudes and outlooks and place them under Jesus so that you will be free in following Christ. So that you won't be encumbered by other things that would distract you from that pursuit. Now think about this. If we bring our attitudes and outlooks and we place them under Christ, that's going to affect how we respond to others. That's going to affect the way that we respond to situations. It's going to affect the things that we post on social media because we want everything in our lives to be put through this filter. Is it going to glorify Jesus? Because that's my single focus. That's why what, what I've been set apart for is this singular purpose in my life to glorify Jesus. God. Now I want you to think for a minute. Imagine what that would be like if Christians all over the world began to approach life in this way. Began to approach their conversations in that way. Began to approach what they post on social media in that way. Imagine the contrast that that would be to the rest of our culture. You know, I've noticed a trend over the years. It probably started back when George Bush Sr. was president. It probably was happening before that, but I didn't notice it. I started to notice it then. And it is this trend that whoever is president, in George Bush Sr.'s case, you know, he was a Republican, And so the liberal media, they would constantly be critiquing and criticizing him. And then when a Democrat would get in office, the quote-unquote conservative media would do the same thing. They would just spend so much time critiquing and criticizing. And it would go back and forth, so much so that the quote-unquote news programs are no longer news programs, but they're just programs of critique and commentary. And I think we watch that pattern 
hit an all-time high during President Trump's presidency. And it got uglier than I think it has ever been, at least in my lifetime. And so for four years, we watched all the media groups go back and forth, attacking one another. And then 2020 hit. And the pandemic came. And I witnessed something in 2020 that I have never seen happen with the church in this country. The church... Christians, believers, started fighting with one another over things like masks or no masks. Should churches be open or not open? And then the whole racism thing happened, and it has been ugly, friends. It's been ugly. But I want to remind you of what Paul the Apostle wrote in Galatians chapter 5. He said this, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Guys, that's our mandate that we have from the Lord, that we're to love one another as we love ourselves. Jesus said, and this is how the world is going to know that you are my disciples by your political affiliation. That's not what he said, is it? Now he said, this is how they're going to know that you are my disciples. It's by your love for one another. And I got to tell you, there's not a lot of love happening right now. Paul would go on to say in that chapter, in the next verse, but if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. And for the past 10 or 11 months, Christians have been biting and devouring one another. And a lot of that mentality has been happening on social media, right in front of the public eye. Now, I just want to say this. When, I, when I'm bringing this up right now, I don't have anybody in this room in mind because I really don't pay attention to your social media. I don't follow a lot of people. Uh, so I'm not like singling anybody out right now. I just want to be clear on that. But I've seen it. I've had, I've had people send me things. And it has just, it has grieved my heart. And a lot of Christians, when it comes to this kind of thing, they're cowards. Because rather than calling somebody up and saying, hey, I got a problem with, with you. Can we talk about it? Or, hey, I didn't like this. Or I'm kind of confused about where you're coming from here. They don't do that. They just go right to their computers or right to their phone pads. And they start typing things that, that are hateful. And it's so incredibly sad. And, and pastors and leaders can be guilty of this as well. In fact, I had a pastor friend who was attacking another pastor friend uh, of mine over, a stance, over his stance on a few things. And I called up the guy who was doing the attacking and I said, hey, have you called him? Have you called him? Have you, have you thought about going and seeing him and just talking to him? I said, you know what? I had some of the same concerns that you did. But I called the guy. I went and met with them. We met for three hours. And when we were done, I had a much better idea of where he was coming from. I don't agree with him on everything, but I had a much better idea of where he was coming from. And, and, and so I said to the guy who was doing the attacking, have you, have you thought about calling him? And he says, oh, I can't do that. And I said, well, then you're a coward. And you should stop posting things. Now... I don't know if he ever did call, but he did stop posting. So, <laughs> But here's my point. 
Over the past year, the church has been biting and devouring one another on social media platforms like never before. And I believe the devil and his demons are sitting back and they are laughing at us. Because they're, they're sitting back and they're saying, you know, they're doing, their jo- they're doing our job. They're doing it for us. Who's going to want to join them? They're just like everybody else. And it's so incredibly sad. And it's the opposite of holiness. I think the devil is laughing at us and the Holy Spirit is screaming at us. Guys, that is not who you are. You're holy. You've been set apart for a singular purpose to glorify God. So act like it. I think that's what the Holy Spirit is wanting to say. So how do we walk in holiness? Number one, we realize that holiness is not just a calling. It's our identity. It's who we are. Number two, we learn how to refocus our thoughts and bring our thoughts under Christ. And finally, number three, you redirect your former passions. Notice verse 14 again. He says, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to your former lust as in your ignorance. I like the way the New Living Translation puts this. It says, don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. Like you were ignorant back then, but you're not anymore. You know better, so don't do that. So we, we walk in holiness by learning how to redirect our former passions. You see, listen. We're not just denying our old nature, but we're learning how to satisfy our new nature. That's what walking in holiness is. It's not just denying our old nature, but it's learning how to satisfy our new nature. And Paul the Apostle writes brilliantly of this in Romans chapter 6. And in Romans chapter 6, he's talking about our position in Christ. And he puts it this way, that our old man, who we were before Christ, our old nature, he says, has been crucified with Christ and that his power in our life has been rendered inactive. And now because we have the power of the risen spirit of Jesus Christ living inside of us, that we now have the power to resist our old nature and respond to our new nature. Here's how Paul put it. First of all, he speaks of our identity. In verse 11, he says, So... You also must consider yourselves to be dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's our identity. Dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's who you are. And so this should be our response. Verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. He's saying, look, Jesus is now your king. So sin doesn't, don't let sin reign. Don't let sin be king. How do we do that? Verse 13. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. How do you do that? You start learning how to present your members. What's he talking about? He's talking about your eyes, your ears, your mouth, your heart, your hands, your fingers. 
You present yourself, the members of your body, you present them to the Lord as instruments of righteousness. You start each day by saying to the Lord, God, I want to present my heart to you. I want to present my eyes to you. I want to present my mouth to you. That today, in the things that I say and what I look at and, and, and the way that I approach things, that it would be that which, which would glorify you. Now listen, the, the more that we do that, the more that we're going to find ourselves responding in a way that will glorify God in the moments. If we learn to how to daily present ourselves to Jesus, wrong responses that have been so much a part of who we used to be will decrease and become less and less in our lives. And so this is what he's talking about here. And the reason is, you know, God hasn't saved you to keep you how you are. God saves you And he wants to do this work of transformation in your life. He wants to make you more like Jesus. It's what the Bible refers to as sanctification. You're being set apart, molded, and shaped to be like Christ. But here's the thing that we need to understand. We have a part to play in that process. And the part that we play is learning how to present our members, ourselves, to the Lord. Instead of to our flesh. And it starts when we realize... That holiness isn't just a calling, it's our identity. It starts as we learn how to refocus our thoughts and bring them under the control of Christ. It starts as we redirect our former passions. That's how we walk in holiness. Now the question is, why should we do that? I want to give you two reasons and then we'll be done. The first is because Jesus is coming back and we want to be ready. Notice again verse 13. He says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now here's what I want you to note. Peter is writing here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he's going to use this idea of the soon return of Christ. He's going to speak of it, again, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is is telling Peter what to write here. He's going to mention this five times in his epistle. He's going to refer to the revelation, the coming of Jesus Christ. But in every single instance where he mentions this, I want you to catch this. He never mentions this hope as a form of escape. And what I mean by that, it's not like he's saying, hey, I know life is here is hard, but Jesus is coming and he's going to get you out of here soon. That, that's never ever the premise by which he is writing. He writes in speaking of the coming of Christ at, rather as an incentive for right living. An incentive for holy living. Never ever as an escape. Now here's something I want you to think about. Have you ever thought about this? You know, the early church, they lived with this mindset, believing in the soon return, the imminent return of Jesus Christ. Peter writes about it five times in this epistle. He writes it in his second epistle. Paul wrote about it a whole bunch. So the Holy Spirit writing to all these you know, the apostles who are writing the New Testament and telling them to mention often about this idea that Jesus is coming soon. He wants that etched in the heart of the, the believers. 
And yet the Holy Spirit who is inspiring them to write this, don't miss this, okay? Tune in. The Holy Spirit who's inspiring the apostles to write these things knows full well that 2,000 years are going to go by and Jesus hasn't come yet. Now think about that for a minute. I can't think of anything that would, to even compare that to in our modern day life. For, for me to be able to make a promise to you that I know full well that you are not going to experience in your lifetime. That would almost seem cruel, wouldn't it? If we looked at whatever the promise was as the end all. Now the Holy Spirit writes this knowing full well 2,000 years are going to go by because he doesn't want the mentality to be in the life of the church that this is going to be you know, their escape mechanism. But rather, he, wants it, he writes this, has them write this because he wants them to have a mindset of no matter how bad the world gets, I know that Jesus is coming. And right now, I'm to be living for him in the meantime. Right now, I'm to be living my life for him with a mindset of, of walking in holiness and making an impact. And the reason why I bring this up is because I see a lot of believers right now who are living with this, this mindset of escapism. This mindset of, of kind of looking and, and, and saying, man, this world stinks. Jesus, just come, please, and get us out of here. And I understand the sentiment. I can fall into that myself. I've watched over this past week some of the executive orders that our president has, has signed, and it has grieved my heart to no end. And I know it has grieved God's heart. But I gotta tell you, church, we are not called in scripture to be thinking about how we can escape the world. Peter will write and he'll say, hey, you guys are pilgrims here. You're sojourners here. He'll remind us this world is not your home. So I, I want you to realize you're in the world and you're not to be of the world, but you're here because God wants you to engage the world. And I think some of us in this room and some of us watching online and I really think this is a word from the Lord for some here today, is we need to put away this escapism mentality and we need to pick up the engagement mentality and say, hey, I know things are getting bad. I know Jesus is coming. I can't wait for that, but we've got work to do in the meantime. Amen? God's got us here for a purpose. He's put around each of us a sphere of influence. So in the New Testament, the coming of Jesus is never used in Scripture as this motivation of escaping planet Earth because it's just too hard to live here. Now, some of you are thinking, wait a second, Pastor Rob, what about in Luke chapter 21? Where Jesus actually said, pray that you might be counted worthy to escape. What about that, Pastor Rob? Well, I'm glad that you asked. <laughs> because if you look at the context of Luke chapter 21... Jesus is talking there about the tribulation. That time when the Bible says that God is going to pour out his wrath upon the world that has rejected his son. 
A time that is going to be so incredibly difficult that the Bible says that if it, if it hadn't been shortened to seven years, no one would have survived. And Jesus, writing to his disciples, says, hey, you guys need to watch and pray because he's told us that prior to the tribulation, he's coming back at the rapture to bring his church. So he says, you guys watch and pray that you would be counted worthy to escape. He's not talking about escaping planet Earth. He's talking about escaping the tribulation. Jesus never wants us to be thinking about just getting out of this place because he's placed us in this place to be salt and light and to make an impact and to shine his lights in a world because there are people in this world who are dying and they're on their way to hell and Jesus has placed us here to reach them. So our first motivation for holy living is because Jesus is coming back because time is getting short and there's people that need to be reached. The second motivation is so the world can see God in us. Look at verse 16 again. Peter quotes here from the book of Leviticus, where God said to the people of Israel, be holy, for I am holy. And the idea there is that with the nation of Israel, God had always desired that the people of Israel would be a light to the Gentiles. His plan all along was that the people of Israel would reach the Gentiles. And so Peter is drawing upon this when he says, hey, you be holy, for I am holy. And the idea, the motivation is so that the world can see God in us. They can see the Lord in us. As we realize, we've been set apart to live for this singular purpose to glorify God, to live in contrast to the rest of the world that is living to glorify themselves. He says, so I want you to be, I want you to be holy, set apart for this singular purpose, to glorify me. God wants us to stand in stark contrast to the world around us, but not in a weird way. You know, sometimes Christians, they, they, they you know, set themselves apart in a weird way. It's like no one wants to even get near them because they're like weird. And, he, and that's what I'm talking about. In fact, let me give you an example. Who was the most holy person who has ever walked on planet Earth? Jesus. Exactly. You know what's interesting about Jesus is the Bible tells us that people, ungodly people, were drawn to him. They loved listening to him. They love being around him because he stood in stark contrast to the stuffy, self-righteous leaders of his day. People love being around Jesus. There was something attractive about him. It reminded me, first service, of a story I've told probably too many times, but I'm going to tell it again. It's like the preacher one Sunday who was talking about that verse that says Jesus was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And he said that Jesus in his personality was a guy that was really serious all the time. Always sad and always somber. He was taking that verse, you know, way out of context into the extreme. And so he was talking about Jesus being this serious guy. Well, in, in church that day, there was a little boy sitting in the front row with his mother. And when this pastor was saying that, the little boy spoke out and, and just said, that's not true. 
And it startled the pastor. Like he was like, I've never had anybody do that before. And, and so he looked at the little boy and he goes, what do you mean by that? And the little boy said this, so insightful, out of the mouth of babes. He said, the Bible says that the little children loved being around Jesus. And if he looked like you, they wouldn't want to be around him. <laughs> but it's true. The kids, they, they were drawn to Jesus. They liked to be, there was an attractiveness to Jesus. There was a contagiousness to Jesus. But people knew full, full well what he stood for. There was not any compromise in Jesus. But the common people, ungodly people, well, he was known as being the, the friend of prostitutes and sinners. And as we remember our identity, who we are in Christ, holiness is our identity, not just our calling. As we learn how to refocus our thoughts, as we learn how to redirect our passions, where we're living no longer, you know, not, not simply to deny our old passions, but now living to, to satisfy these new, this new nature of Jesus inside us. If we can learn to live in that type of way, maybe we can have the same effect that Jesus had. Where ungodly people will be like, I want to get to know him. I want to get to know her. They're really different, and they're not weird. <laughs> There's something about them. I want to find out what makes him, what makes her tick. That's our calling to walk in holiness. Amen? Now, as we wrap up today, maybe you're here, and you don't know Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you find yourself in a place where you've just been living for yourself, living for sin. And you're at a place in your heart where you just are like, man, this isn't cutting it. And you're empty. And you know right now that you're apart from God. But he loves you. That's why he sent his son to come and die on the cross to pay the price for your sins. And three days later, rise again from the dead so that he could give his life to anyone who would put their faith and trust in him. And I believe there's some here today, or maybe some online, that the Lord right now is just saying to you, I'm calling you to be mine. He's calling you out of your sin to follow Jesus. I think there's probably some other people here that You've professed Christ at some time in your life. But you know right now, you're, just, you're living in rebellion. You're just, you know, doing your thing. You're here today because, you know, it's like you felt a little guilty. I better go to church. And Jesus is saying, hey, I want you to be done with that. That's not who you are. You're mine. You've been, your old life, it's been crucified. Don't, don't, quit presenting your, your members. Quit presenting yourself to that stuff that was the, how you used to be and start following me. And he's calling some of you to make a recommitment of your life today. And I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you, God, for who you are. We thank you, Lord, for making us holy. 
righteous, set apart for a singular purpose to glorify you. Lord, it's so great to know that holiness and happiness go hand in hand. Because you tell us in your word, happy are the people whose God is the Lord. And so, Lord, today we want to pronounce you as our king, our God. But, Lord, I pray for those right now here in this room who either don't know you or who have not been walking with you. And I know right now your Holy Spirit is tugging on their hearts that you want a relationship with them. You want to live in them. With our head bowed and our eyes closed, I just want to ask right now, I'm just sensing the Lord putting this on my heart. We don't do this all the time. But if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, or you're here today and maybe you have professed Christ at one time, but you know you're not walking with him right now, and you, today you want to get right with God. You want to begin to walk with Jesus. You want to be ready when he comes. If that's you today, and you know right now the Holy Spirit's just tugging on your heart, I'd like you just to acknowledge that. I want to pray with you. Just raise your hand. And say, yeah, pray with me, Pastor Rob. God bless you. Anyone else? Put it high where I can see him. Anyone else that would say, yeah, that's me. God bless you, brother. God bless you. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for these that have their hands raised right now. And for those who are maybe watching online. I can't see their hand, but you can. That right now you would touch them, that you would meet them, that you would fill them, that you would do work in them. And from this day forward, that they would begin a life that is given to this one singular purpose to glorify you. If you raised your hand, I'd like you just to repeat this prayer just quietly to yourself, but mean this with all your heart. Say, Dear Jesus, I give my life to you. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me for going my own way. And I'm asking you today to come into my heart and make it your home. And from this day forward, I want to live for you. I want to follow you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for accepting me. give myself to you today. In Jesus' name, amen.